You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. So this week, Alyssa and I put our house in Kansas City on the market. We bought it almost five years ago, right around the time we both finished seminary. It's the first house we've ever owned together. A beautiful little two-bedroom cottage right on the state line between Missouri and Kansas with hardwood floors and butcher block countertops and a massive veggie garden in the backyard that to us always felt more like a cozy cabin in the woods than a home in the city. And now we've made the difficult decision to to sell it uh, as we get ready to move back to Missouri in the coming months, back to the college town where we first met to be closer to our families and put down roots while I finish my dissertation and continue discernment to ordain ministry. It's a time of excitement, uncertainty, and more than a little sense of loss. A lot of you know that our experience in Denver um, hasn't always been a pleasant one for us. Pretty shortly after we moved here, the church we worked for uh, got caught up in a nasty dispute with some of our neighbors over a proposed homelessness outreach program in our neighborhood. Alyssa and I often found ourselves on the receiving end of angry and even threatening emails of intimidating, not-in-my-backyard neighborhood watch meetings and passive-aggressive notes left on car windshields. Add to that the constant stresses of grad school and worrying about whether I'd be good enough to, to get a rubber stamp of approval for the priesthood, and pretty soon it became really easy just to wish we were somewhere else, anywhere else, uh, looking forward to the day when we finally got to leave Denver once and for all. But when I look back on the last few years, I'm often ashamed at how, uh, how I've repeatedly failed to appreciate where I am and the people I happen to be with at any given moment because I'm too busy thinking about all the ways things could be better. If only I could find a job that paid a little more. If only my professor would email me back. That's not my experience. I'm I'm talking about you all. Uh, If only I could land that one gig that kickstarts my career. If only my kids weren't better were better behaved. If only my spouse wasn't so needy. (laughs) Not you, Alyssa. It's an illustration. There's something extremely tempting about constantly being on the lookout for something different, about striving for something more, about judging that, that whatever is isn't good enough, doesn't live up to my standards. I've been too willing at times to play the role of the callous critic who ignores his own sins to gain the moral upper hand. What often starts out as a genuine concern for justice and fairness and equality all too easily ends up as just another way to show other people how clever or woke or how in touch with my feelings I am. 
by constantly worrying about how well other people fit my ethical convictions, by cynically questioning the purity of every other person's motives but my own, I start to spin out of control, anxious to point out other people's failures and shortcomings. As it turns out, it just so happens to be just one of the things that I have in common with the betrayer of Christ. It's really easy to get hung up on some of the particulars of our gospel story this week. We might wonder whether Judas was really a thief, uh, or if that was just John's way of making the hard ambiguities of Jesus' betrayal a little bit easier to understand and accept. We might be skeptical of the idea that the same Jesus who said, sell what you own and give to the poor, and give to everyone who begs from you, and blessed are you who are beggars, for yours is the kingdom of God, this Jesus, that this Jesus would also approve of an entire year's salary being spent on what basically amounts to some fancy aftershave. But if you're a careful reader of your Bible... You know that Jesus is actually quoting from Deuteronomy here. Because I know how you all love reading Deuteronomy. (laughs) And the whole point of the full verse in Deuteronomy says that since, since we will always have poverty among us, we will never find ourselves in a privileged position to say that the work of hospitality... the work of justice, of self-giving love... is finally and once and for all complete... So Jesus isn't selfishly brushing off the poor or saying that economic justice doesn't matter. I think he's making a totally different point. Maybe what Jesus is saying here has less to do with a narcissistic inflated ego or with an insistence on treating himself to the finer things in life. Hashtag self-care. Maybe instead it has everything to do with our human tendency toward anxious comparison our cynical distrust of others, how we shackle ourselves to false moral equivalencies. When Judas starts mansplaining Mary about about her extravagant gift, uh, as if she didn't already know how valuable it was, Jesus, and I love how, how blunt he is here, Jesus is like, oh, hell no! Leave her alone, he says. Because Jesus sees Judas's complaint for what it is. A deflection. That has almost nothing to do with Mary or her fancy oil. After all, Judas ended up not having the best track record with money himself when it came to those 30 pieces of silver. Last week, our friends Zach and Jenny came over for dinner, and at one point, the conversation turned to the topic of loss and regret. Um, Jenny mentioned, and I hope I'm getting the story right, uh, Jenny mentioned that a co-worker of hers had recently described the difference between loss and regret something like this. Loss is uh, natural and temporary, but regret stays with you. It hangs around, it follows you wherever you go unless you learn how to deal with it. And it struck me that when you put it that way, Jesus' defense of Mary here totally makes sense. By affirming Mary's choice to indulge a little on the oil, Jesus acknowledges that experiencing loss is just part of our humanity. Because it's with this same oil that 
that Mary and the other female disciples will return to the tomb just a few days later to anoint and bury the body of their Lord. And that's the kind of earth-shattering loss that upends a person's priorities, overturns all our nice ideas about what's really important. Because in his challenge of Judas, we hear once again that the gospel has nothing to do with getting it right, with having all of our priorities straight and our ducks in a row. There's no set of choices we can make in this world that that are going to protect us from critique. Nothing we can do that will save us from the what-ifs and woulda-coulda-shouldas. We're just not going to leave this world with a spotless record, no matter what causes we champion or the things we choose not to eat or the political candidate we vote for or don't vote for. And by reminding Judas and Mary of this fact, Jesus also sets us free from the endless cycle of anxious comparisons which trap us in a lifetime of judgment, shame, and regret from constantly comparing romanticized versions of our past and idealized hopes for our future to the way things are here and now. Instead, Jesus sees and affirms the value of the present in its fullness, with all its brokenness and beauty. Over the last week or two, as I've reflected more and more about our time in Denver coming to an end, um, out of nowhere I've been hit with this memory after memory that, that reminds me of why I love this place, this church. The memories come at weird, unexpected times when I'm, when I'm sitting in traffic or when I'm walking to the train station, when I'm staring at a mind-numbing spreadsheet of library data on my work computer. <laughs> I suddenly remember camping at Black Canyon for the first time with Zach and Jenny and Drew and Abby. I remember birthday cocktail parties at Steve's place. I remember hiking up to Emerald Lake at our first half-assed spring retreat. I remember distillery tours and Stranger Things marathons and Halloween drag shows. I think of all the times I've had the privilege of getting to know one of you over a cup of coffee. All the times Alyssa and I have had people over for pizza or an Irish movie night or a vegan Thanksgiving dinner. And I realize that I've not always been willing or able to see just how profoundly you have shaped me as a person. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned from my time in Half-Ass is what it means to commit myself to a community of people I don't always agree with, what it feels like to break bread and share a cup of wine every single week along people who have wounded me, alongside people I have wounded As we say at the end of every newcomer's brunch, this church will eventually, inevitably, disappoint you. Just like every church will. But if you stick around, even after being disappointed, if you resist the urge to anxiously compare your ideal community against the community that you actually have, that's where you see the grace of Christ at work. Well, friends, for the first time in my life, I stuck around. And grace happened. I saw it. And it continues to happen. And I know that I will never be the same because of you. 
And may it be so for each of you as well. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon podcast for House for All Sinners and Saints. If you like what you've been hearing and would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, just go to our website, www.houseforall.org, and click on Give.